Hey, this is Evan Black, pastor of Faith for Life Church, and this is our podcast. Thanks for joining us today. If you don't yet know Jesus, I'm so glad that you're listening, and I pray that this message empowers you to give your life to Christ. If you're just starting out on your journey with Jesus, I hope this empowers you to connect with Him. If you're strong in your connection to Christ, I believe this message will empower you to follow Him. So enjoy today's message. So many instances throughout the scriptures of people worshiping through their generosity. And so if you haven't been here over the last couple of weeks, um, I've been setting this up and talking about this. And I made up this word and, and I Googled it again last night. And there was only two other instances I could find on Google. So I'm pretty sure like I made this up. I wasn't sure that I thought, I'm just like, surely somebody else had already made this word up before. But I, 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 think, I think if I'm not first, I'm at least third. I'm pretty proud of that. Um, it doesn't have anything to do with the message whatsoever. But over the next several weeks, we're going to be talking about this word that I think I made up called Christmasosity. Christmasosity. During Christmas time, we're going to have our focus on worshiping Jesus through our generosity, hence Christmas. Yeah, yeah, you got it. You got it. I knew y'all are smart. Y'all got that. Y'all got it without me explaining it. I know I just needed to explain it for myself. Um, So before we get into 2 Corinthians chapter 8, I want to tell you about a story that some of you may be familiar with in Luke chapter 7. A Pharisee asked Jesus to come and, and sit down and eat with him, which was pretty scandalous at the time. But Jesus agrees, and Jesus goes, and he sits down to eat with this man uh, who was a Pharisee. And there's this lady who comes who was known to be a sinner. Now, how she was known to be a sinner is probably a different subject and a different topic. But she was known to be a sinner, and she comes into that place, and she brings this alabaster box of oil, and she uses the oil to anoint Jesus' feet. The Pharisee begins to question if Jesus is even a prophet, because he's like, hey, if Jesus was even a prophet, he would have known that this was a sinner, and that she would have no business doing this for him or touching him in any way. And so Jesus responds to that by telling the story of this guy who who was a money lender, and he had two people that he uh, lent money to and then he forgave their debts. And he asked this Pharisee, he says, which one of those two people would love the money lender more? And the Pharisee responds correctly by saying, the one who was forgiven more would be the one who loved more. And so Jesus, in his very amazing way of like, okay, she shouldn't be here because she's a sinner, then tells a story about a money lender. It's like, Jesus, did you even hear the question? But, but Jesus' point was, Those that are forgiven more tend to love him more, tend to worship him more. And his point in that was very powerful. I want you to keep that in mind. We're going to take a little bit different direction. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, here we have Paul uh, writing to a church in Corinth. And in verse 1, he says, we want you to know, brothers. Now, now let me pause right there for a second. Brothers, when you see brothers in the scriptures, is talking not about people who have the same mom, but people who have the same heavenly father. Okay, so when you, when you read brothers, it's talking to what we would categorize now as other Christians. So this, what he's writing here, does not apply to those who don't yet believe, whose knee hasn't yet bowed to the name of Jesus. He's writing here to those who are believers. And so a, much of what we're going to talk about over the next several weeks applies to brothers and sisters in Christ. It applies to us as believers. And if you're not yet a believer in here, then I believe that God's going to speak to you. He's going to work on your heart. But some of this does 
doesn't apply to you until you become a believer. And you'll see why in a minute. He says, we want you to know, brothers. So believers, there's something we want you to know. There's something we need you to know. And here's what it is. About the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. Now, many times we think of the grace of God. We think of many different things. We think of unmerited forgiveness. We think of um, God maybe doing something that we didn't deserve. There's all kinds of things that we think of when we think of grace. But here, Paul is talking about a specific grace, and he's talking about a specific grace that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. Now, the churches of Macedonia were not the churches in Corinth. He's telling the church in Corinth about these other churches in this other place. Um, specifically in Philippi and Thessalonica and Berea and some other places. <clears throat> and and this, is, this is so good because um, Paul is about to use what these other people have done to encourage and inspire, maybe um, hopefully not even to shame these people in Corinth to, to match what they've done. Now, to give you a little context, um, the, the Christians in Jerusalem, uh, they, they were poor. They had become poor for various different reasons. Some of them, before they even started following Jesus, they were poor. But others, they, they had experienced war, they had experienced famine, persecution, and it had made them poor to the point where uh, much of the commentary says it this way, that they had fallen into decay. So these are not like people who, um, you know, are barely eaten out every week. These are like people who are for real, for real poor. And so Paul gives them this, these people as an example. He's about to tell them what these poor people had been doing. Um, and, and let me, just before I get to verse 2, you know, I, I like this because I'm competitive. And sometimes uh, people don't think that you can be competitive in Christian, and I, I don't understand that. Uh, we, we were, a few of us were talking to somebody the other day, and we were, um, we were talking about the church basketball league that we did, I think it was last year, and, uh, and how our church had a team, and these other churches had a teams, and then we'd go play each other, and the point of it was to connect believers across churches, specifically along racial and, and cultural and ethnic lines that maybe we wouldn't have a chance to get to know before. It was an amazing success for many reasons, but one of the successes was we won. And I mean, we didn't just win, but like we won, like, like we won for real, for real. And so we were talking to these guys and they're like, that's not Christian to beat somebody, another church by 30 points. And we're like, why not? Paul said, run the race to win. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I, I, like I'm competitive. There's, there's something about if you tell me that you're better than me, there's something in me that wants to prove you wrong. And that can be bad. I get how that can be bad, but it's not all bad. Part of what Paul is doing here is like, hey, I want to tell you about what these poor people did and see if you have any competitive bones in your body. I want to see if this will challenge you or inspire you in any way because sometimes hearing about other people's generosity can spark our own generosity. One of my favorite people in the world was a guy I used to um, coach with. He was the head coach at Kennesaw State when I was an assistant coach. And, um, man, he, he had so many different things that he would say that really stuck with me. But one of the things that he would say is don't ever let anybody outgive you. Don't, don't, don't ever let anybody be nicer to you than you are to them. And, and that just sparked some competitive juices in me, right? So if somebody gives to you... It doesn't mean that you have to turn around and give it to them and give more to them, but now I'm looking for an opportunity to be nice to somebody else. 
I'm looking for an opportunity to be generous. And, and that somebody being generous to me, it's not about the competition. It's about, it's a reminder to do what I should already be doing. Here, Paul's like, okay, I'm about to tell you about these people from these churches in Macedonia. And if you didn't know about their, their situation, in verse 2 he says, For in a severe test of affliction, not just a test of affliction, not just pressure in their life, but a severe test of pressure. They're under severe pressure. They're not under the pressure of, am I going to be able to afford to buy my kids this massive gift that they want that's going to cost hundreds or a thousand dollars or whatever. Like, that's not the pressure that they're under. They're under the pressure of where are we going to eat? How are we going to survive? Where are we going to live? How are we going to make it? Their abundance of joy, which that, that makes no sense. How they're under this severe test of affliction or pressure. They're poor. They've experienced war and famine and persecution. And yet, the thing that Paul says right after making sure that they know that they are in this severe test is they had abundance of joy. They had abundance of joy in the middle of extreme pressure. In the middle of a severe test, they had abundance of joy. The only way that you have this kind of abundance of joy is that you choose to have this abundance of joy. This is not abundance of joy that comes through feeling. This is not like, oh, thank you, Jesus, that everything's going horribly wrong. And I have this feeling that just rises up in me that's an abundance of joy. This is choosing to have joy no matter what the circumstances are. And this group of people, they were in a severe test of affliction and they had abundance of joy. And it says their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty so not only were they in severe test of pressure, but they were in extreme poverty. Not just poverty. Poverty's bad enough. They're in extreme poverty. It says this, they have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Now this is, this is, this is the confession. This is my prayer for us individually and as a church that we would overflow in a wealth of generosity. This group of people that Paul is telling the church at Corinth about, they were in severe test of pressure and affliction. They were in extreme poverty, yet they had an abundance of joy, and they overflowed in a wealth of generosity. Christmas time is a time where we overflow in that wealth of generosity, right? Like Christmas gifts are given almost no matter what. Whether you have a lot of money or whether you don't have any money, whether things have been good this year or whether they haven't been good this year. I, I had a friend um, in high school that his mom would, would spend $1,000 every Christmas on his Christmas gifts on her credit card because she didn't have the money. She didn't, she didn't have it, but she, that was not going to stop her from giving Christmas gifts to her son. I've seen not just her, I've seen people in my family, friends, who they don't have it, but some way during Christmas, you're going to get a gift from them. They are not going to allow what they don't have to keep them from being generous during Christmas. Now, your current financial situation may determine um, the amount that you give, how much those gifts are, what those gifts are, but very rarely does it actually determine whether or not something is given. And I found this study that said that this year, industry experts expect the average American to spend $920 per person on holiday gifts. 
which is up from $885 in 2018. And it will reach a total of more than $1 trillion in holiday spending. That's what's expected this year. So you know what's expected, it always goes above what's expected. <laughs> That's the average American will spend $920. They broke this down. They said 33% of Americans are expected to spend at least $1,000 on gifts. One-third of all Americans are expected to spend at least $1,000 on Christmas gifts. 22% are expected to spend between $500 and $999 on Christmas gifts. So that means 55% of Americans are expected to spend more than $500 on Christmas gifts. We know how to be generous. You go on, 29% are expected to spend between $100 and $499. Only 3% are expected to spend less than $100. Now you start looking at those numbers, and you start to see maybe not levels of generosity, but levels of income. Those 3% that are going to spend less than $100, if they had more money, would they spend the $1,000? I mean, I don't know. It's speculation. But I would, I would say probably so. I mean, I don't know a whole lot of people who try to, to spend less during Christmas. They might try to spend less every other time of the year. They might, they might, they might have no idea how they're going to do anything in January. But, but I don't know a whole lot of people who are trying to spend less during Christmas. And when you look at these, um, these industry statistics, every year the amount that we spend for Christmas goes up. In America. So our, our level of generosity is not really about what we have or how much we have. It's about our heart. It's about our heart. There is something that either in our faith or in our culture that has gotten ingrained in us that we must bring a Christmas gift to every person that we love or to every Christmas party or whatever that is for you. And we believe it so much that we will even sacrifice to make sure that it happens. And when I say we, I'm just talking about generally speaking Americans. Even to go into debt to be able to show this level of generosity. Here in, in the church in Corinth, Paul is giving them the example of the people of Macedonia. And he's saying that their generosity wasn't based on how, how hard the pressure was or how difficult the situation was. It wasn't even based on what they had. They were in extreme poverty, and yet they overflowed in a wealth of generosity. Our level of generosity is really, when it comes down to it, it's about our heart and our faith. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 6, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, but where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So it's a matter of where's our heart and our faith? Because our heart and our faith is going to determine how generous we are. 
And how generous we are is not based on whether you spend $100 for Christmas or $1,000 for Christmas. It's about where is your heart in the matter? Where is your faith in the matter? These people overflowed in a wealth of generosity. They overflowed in that wealth of generosity because they believed in Jesus. They had faith in Jesus. In this faith that they had now began to experience. And because of that, they were willing to overflow in their generosity, specifically with their finances. Now, what I love and what I am so proud of is here at Faith for Life, we do this. We don't just do this. We are this. I already have enough stories to fill every week of, of this sermon series. But today, I just want to share with you two of, two of our stories of how we do this. And again, there's, there's so many. There's probably too many for me to share during this series. But one of our e-teamers felt led to send a friend of his a pair of, of, uh, of brand new shoes. Now, now these are like the, the nice, expensive shoes. These are the shoes where there's whole websites and apps set up to exchange these shoes. And these are, these are like big-time shoes. These shoes, you wear these kind of shoes, they might get you, um, you know, a lot of likes on Facebook. They're worth a lot of money. They're valuable. They're not like expensive, like church shoes. Okay, I think I'll get the point. So, so one of our E-teamers, he, he, he just kind of felt like God was leading him to, to send this friend of his some shoes. He sends this guy some shoes. He had no idea. This friend called him a couple days after and told him that he had no idea how much those shoes meant to him. And the reason that our E-teamer had no idea how much those shoes meant to this guy is because our E-teamer had no idea that this guy had just been laid off from his job. No idea. Just being generous just overflowing in a wealth of generosity. One of our faith group leaders purchased a car. And you know how most of us do when we purchase a car, we, we turn in the used car that we had been driving, even if it was perfectly good. We're trying to get some money for it. We're trying to get some trade in, or maybe we sell it so we can put that towards the purchase of this new car. But one of our faith group leaders purchased a car, and instead of trading in her perfectly used car, she gave it to a lady in her faith group. This is what gets me. The lady in her faith group, because she hadn't, she hadn't had any money, any resources, any finances, hadn't had a car in 10 years. Not because she didn't have a driver's license, couldn't drive. It's she, she just didn't have any money to have a car. Like, this is who we are. We, we already do this. This, if you're new to Faith for Life, like this is who we are. I got, I got, I got a bunch of these stories. I'm not just things that we do, but who we are. We overflow in a wealth of generosity, and when something overflows, it is so much that it can't be contained. It, it can't be stopped. If something is overflowing, then it literally means that there is a container that cannot hold it. It, it is coming out. It is flowing out. It is overflowing the container. And see, that, that's what we are. We're containers for the kingdom of God. We're containers of Christ, and generosity just flows out of us. It's not something that we do one time. It's not something that we do every so often. It's not just whenever we hear some heartfelt story of some kid who can't eat or can't drink or needs us, and, like we, and, and then we give. That, like That's great, and we will do that, but that is not defining who we are. That's not defining our generosity. And this season of remembering and celebrating the birth of our Savior, we are going to focus on being more of who we already are, and that's generous people. Because that's who we are. 
That's what we do. It overflows out of us. It, it cannot be stopped. It cannot be contained. If you get around us, you might just get blessed financially because we're just looking for opportunities to be generous. And we can't contain it, and it, and it doesn't stop. In verse 3, it says, for they gave according to their means. So they gave as they had. They, they gave from what they could. It wasn't about the dollar amount. It was about their ability and their situation and their finances. And then that's what we do. That's who we are. If we have it, we will give it. If we have it, we will sow it. If we have it, we will bless you with it. But then, this gets challenging. He says, for they gave according to their means, as I can testify. And beyond their means. They didn't just give out of their excess. They gave beyond their means. Now, now here they are, fairly new believers They've met Jesus, they're, they're beginning to love Jesus and figure out what all this is. And they believe so much that they're willing to help people who don't have to the point where they will give sacrificially. They gave according to their means and beyond their means. This is where we lose some Christians. This is where we throw our hands up and are like, yeah, look, I got to pay my bills. I got to do this. I got to put stuff in my 401K. I got to get my kid $1,000 worth of Christmas gifts. Uh, I'll do what I can when it's when what's left over. And listen, you're not going to hell if you do that. But, man, you're not making the impact God wants you to make in your life and in the kingdom when you do that. If you're not willing to seek God, I'm getting ahead of myself, and be willing to make sacrificial gifts when he leads you to, man, there's somebody else that's missing out. There's somebody who hasn't driven a car in 10 years because they don't have the money that is not going to be able to drive that car. There's somebody who needs some encouragement or maybe even to resell these shoes because they just lost their job and they won't be able to do that because we'll only give what we can give, what's convenient for us, what won't hurt us. We'll give according to our means, and we'll be generous in that way. But is that really overflowing? Is it really? Like, is that really what this is about? Jesus wants us to just give what we can, when we can? Like, I'm pretty sure that I read that we are to live by faith. And like, if God is telling you to give... And you're like, God, I'll give, but I only give what I can. Is that really living by faith? I'm not talking about y'all, because y'all overflowing the wealth of generosity. I'm talking about all the other Christians that we're going to encounter once we leave here. People are missing out because we're only willing to give according to our own means. But they gave beyond their means. And listen to this of their own accord, there was no pressure. There was no mandate. They didn't have to do this. They chose to give according to what they could and beyond. They gave what they decided and they gave sacrificially. If we went over one chapter, we're running out of time. We don't have time. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, Paul says this. And, man, this is so good. He says, 
each one must give. Now, now let me pause right there. He's talking to believers. He's talking to brothers. Each one must give. If you're a follower of Jesus and you don't give, there's something wrong. Each one, each follower of Jesus must give. Jesus is our example. There's a ton of scriptures that back this up and instruct us in this. But each one of us must give. We should all be generous. Each one must give as he has decided. So first of all, we got to decide. And, and here, here's, a little, here's, a, here's a tip. Many of you all know this. And some of you all need to know this. If you're only deciding when you're going to give in the moment, you're never going to give as much as God wants you to give. Right, so, so if you're going to decide when you come to church and we're sitting in and we're about to give, it's about to be giving time, if that's the moment that you're going to decide how much to give, you're, you're never going to completely obey God in that area. We have to decide what we're going to give before it's time to give. I'm going to have to go back and listen to like, messages in September and October and earlier in the year so I can remember that you guys do say amen, that you do get excited, that you do like, like, like followers of Jesus must give and we must decide to give. If we don't decide to give, then we'll find ourselves never giving. Listen, I have to put certain things in my calendar to remind me to do them because I've decided I want to do them. I've decided I need to do them. But I know that if I don't, if I'm not intentional about the decision that I've already made, then it won't happen. It just won't happen. And I'll look up and I'll say, man, I thought we connected like three weeks ago. And they'll be like, Pastor, I haven't sat down with you in six months. And I'm like, what happened? We have to decide and be intentional with our generosity before the moments come. Yes, we can be intentional and we can be generous in the moments, but if you're only generous in the moments, then you have made generous acts, but you're not a generous person. We are followers of Jesus, so we must give and we must decide to give and we must decide to give in our heart. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not in our head. Because when I decide in my head, every single time I'm going to give according to my means. I'm going to give according to what I know I can, I can give what I can do without. I'm going to give according to my bank account. I'm going to give according to my situation. I'm going to give according to what I know the future holds or what I'm afraid it does hold. But if I start giving not with my head, but deciding to give out of my heart, man, that's a place of faith. That's a place where God lives. That's the place where I can be sensitive to what God is leading me to do and how much he's leading me to give. And when he's leading me to give sacrificially, I'm, I'm deciding that that's where that, 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 that decision is going to come from. We must decide in our heart. That's key. Because if we will make the decisions concerning our generosity out of our heart, then we will find ourselves in times where God does lead us to give sacrificially. That may not be every time. That may not be all the time. But if you're deciding in your heart where God lives, I can guarantee you there are going to be times that he calls you 
and invites you and challenges you and instructs you to give sacrificially. And you have to choose whether or not you are going to decide in your heart whether you're going to do it of your own accord or whether you're going to feel the pressure and nullify the blessing of your gift by giving out of what we might call compulsion or pressure. In verse 4, it says, they were begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. Do y'all hear this? These are, these are poor people. These are extremely poor people who are facing severe tests of pressure, and they are begging for the opportunity to give. They are begging for it. Listen, we overflow in the wealth of generosity. We are generous people. But when was the last time you were begging somebody for the opportunity to be generous to them? When was the last time that you drove here saying, man, I just can't wait till Pastor Evan receives the offering. I just, I hope it's early. I can't wait. I, I, man, I, I pray that he doesn't forget to do that today. If he does, I'm going to run right up to the front. I'm a pastor. I was coming here. I'm begging you. Will you please let me give? They are begging they know something. They believe something that too many American Christians don't know or don't believe. They are begging for the opportunity to give. In verse 5 it says in this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves. And here's the key. Here's the key to all generosity. Here's the key to Christmasosity. Here's the key to generosity. Here's the key to how we should live our lives. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord. See, if you don't give yourselves first to the Lord, number one, you're not ever going to be as generous as God wants you to be, but... More importantly, you're not going to be connected to know when and where to be generous. You, you could find yourselves putting your money in bags or pockets with holes in them. Meaning like you, you're making more money, but you're not saving more money. You, 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 you maybe are doing more with your money, but you're not seeing anything as a result of this money that has come into your possession. And it's because we have to first give ourselves to the Lord. And be completely submitted to him. And then, by the will of God, Paul says to us. So it's about first giving yourselves to God. And then allowing yourselves to be connected and submitted to the people that God wants you connected and submitted to. Because there are times where we will encourage each other. The, the New Testament has all these one another's that, 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 that tell us about how we sharpen each other, we encourage each other, we challenge each other, we pray for each other, we pick each other up, we forgive each other, we help each other, we, we sharpen each other. Like It tells us all this stuff of how we need each other, but sometimes what Christians will do is they will say, that they are connected to God and they're giving everything to him but they've refused to connect with his people they refuse to submit to the people that he wants you to submit to they refuse to lead the people that he wants you to lead and they look at their financial situation they look at their their marriages their relationships their lives their careers and they say this is not working and it's because when Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? He said, yes, love God with everything you have. But the second is like unto it, to love your neighbor as yourself. And if you're only loving God, you're not doing it right. We have to realize that we are in a kingdom where nothing belongs to us. 
It all belongs to the king. There's this Christian author named Randy Alcorn. He said this. I absolutely love this. We should live more simply and give more generously because heaven is our home. The single greatest deterrent to giving and to living more simply is the illusion that this world is our home. So why are we not more generous? Why? Because we're afraid we might not have enough. We're afraid we might give too much. We're afraid of what they might do with what it is that we give. We're, we're not sure that it'll go to the right places. And, and, and like, what? What? We're in a different kingdom. You're only going to be here for, what, 120 years? Compared to eternity, that's nothing. Y'all know all the sayings. You brought nothing into this world. You're not taking anything out. From ashes to ashes, dust to dust. Like, listen, nobody's burying you with $1,000 Christmas money. (laughs) And if they are, you're not taking that to heaven. the, the, The dollar bill is not worth anything in heaven. Why are these people who are so poor and under such pressure, why are they overflowing in a wealth of generosity and begging to give, and we, not us, them, are stingy Christians? Why? It's not because of how much we have. It's not because of how much you make. I get it. It may look like that, but it looked like that to these people. What do you believe? Where's your heart? Where your heart is, that's where your treasure is. Verse 6, it says, Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he has started, he should complete among you this act of grace. Now, now I don't have time, but there's, Paul is urging Titus to start and complete this act of grace. Really, what he's talking about here is collecting this offering from these people. But I'm urging us to start and complete this act of grace also. I'm urging you to do three things. Here's the challenge for this sermon series for the rest of our year. I'm challenging you, I'm urging you to begin now before you spend the rest of your $1,000 in Christmas present money. Because I know Black Friday's already happened, so there's a portion of that that's already (laughs) gone. But before you spend the rest of your $1,000 in Christmas presents, I'm urging you, I'm challenging you to be generous to your church. If this isn't your church, wherever your church is, I'm challenging you, I'm urging you to be generous to your church. Our generosity during Christmas, it shows love, and that's great. But let's make sure that we don't use all of our generosity on what Jesus calls the second most important thing, in loving our neighbors. He did say the first most important thing was loving God with everything that we have. And so, yes, we should be generous to other people, but we should first be generous to God. This, this sinner woman that we talked about in the beginning, she invested, some people say that this was a year's worth of oil or perfume in worship to Jesus. This was a sacrifice. This was valuable to her. She didn't take that and go and give it to the poor. She took that first and gave it to Jesus. Doesn't mean that we shouldn't give to the poor, but we have to make sure our priorities are in line. I'm urging you, secondly, to begin now, today, December 1st, praying about being prepared 
to start 2020 with your best financial gift. We've never done this in this church before. If you're new here, I don't know what you're thinking of me right now. I'm pretty sensitive to it, so I don't want you to tell me after service. But, but we, don't, we don't do this often, but, but I, I, I just feel led, like if this is your church, this is, this is what we're going to do. I want you to pray starting right now. Not, I'm not, I'm not going to look. Nobody on our team is going to look. It's between you and God. But I want to challenge you. I want to urge you to start praying right now to say, God, what do you want me to give to start 2020? So Sunday, January 5th, 2020, we're going to celebrate because we are able to give this special offering. We're going to come in expecting. We're going to come in begging waiting for the time that we can give because we are going to take what God is saying here and we're going to apply it to our lives. God cares about order. He cares what is first. There's some churches that are doing like end of year, like let's close out the year. That's cool. That's awesome. That's great. If God's leading that, perfect. I'm, I'm, not, I'm saying God cares about order and what he's told me is first. So the first Sunday in January is January 5th, and that's marked on my calendar. I'm doing the same thing. The church is doing the same thing. The church is going to give. I'm going to give. Our family's going to give. I'm challenging you to start 2020 with your best gift. Maybe it's an amount that God's never told you to give before. Maybe it's something that you have given before. Whatever it is, choose and decide in your heart what you and your family are going to do. And the third thing I'm urging you, urging us is to be Christmas generous. Y'all know what I mean by Christmas generous, right? That $1,000. What if we put aside $1,000 every month to give to the church and to people? Maybe it's not $1,000. Like, don't go in debt for this. But what if we became Christmas generous to God and others beyond the next 25 days? I'm urging you, as Paul urged Titus, to start and complete this grace, to be Christmas generous, to be focused on Christmasosity, not just for the next 25 days, but to make this who we are and not just what we've done. Let's look at the next 31 days as we close this year, not as something that we're doing, but it's something that we're becoming. Because this woman who anointed Jesus' feet, man, she was honored to be able to sacrifice that way, to be able to give what was clearly a sacrificial gift. She counted an honor to be able to wash his feet. She worshiped our Savior through her generosity. We're already generous. Let's make sure that our generosity is in order. Let's make sure that our generosity comes from the place that God wants it to come from. Let's make sure that our generosity is in faith and based on what we believe and who we know Jesus to be. Well, if you enjoyed today's podcast, there's a couple things I'd love for you to do. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. You can also invest in helping us empower others to follow Jesus by texting any dollar amount to 512-520-0185. Thanks again for joining us today on the Faith for Life podcast.